So I'm a mover, so I'm not going to stay still. I'm going to talk to you plainly. Is that all right? Amen. Amen. And um, I just want to warn you that uh, this is not a deep message. Amen. Um, it's a message that the Lord has given for us to hear. And it might be something that you're already familiar with. But as we are pressing towards the end of time, meaning as we're preparing for the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the Lord wants us to be reminded of the very things that we already know. Because sometimes it's just um, based on intellect, what we understand. And there's a failure for us to have an experience. God wants us to have an experience because this is the whole reason why Jesus has not yet come. When you look at everything that is happening in the world, and we understand that a crisis is coming, the Lord is anticipating and waiting for his people to be ready. He's not waiting for a national Sunday law. He's not waiting for the economy to collapse. But what the Lord is waiting for, beloved, is for his people to reflect the image of Jesus. Because in the times in which we're living now, if nothing has spoken to us about the realities of the nearness of the coming of our Savior, I don't know what will. So Revelation chapter 13 lays out before us that there's a second beast that will rise up and that second beast will start, it, the Bible says that it will have two horns like a lamb and it will speak like a dragon. And it will exercise all the power of the first beast. Now, as of late, the Lord has been putting on my heart to talk about Revelation, the 13th chapter. But I'm not going to do that here. I'm just going to give you a little snippet. But the purpose of bringing this up, brothers and sisters, because the image of the beast is preparing to be formed. When you look at headlines such as the new house speaker, if you look at headlines such as this movement called 2025, when you look at the headlines that's talking about this year's election or 2024 election, and the different movers and shakers and ind individuals who are a part of this election, and you see the tension that is coming around it, it lets you know that we don't have much time left. But then on the other hand, you look at what's happening in God's house. You see the issues that are existing amongst God's people. And it's painful to see, especially with leadership, Members, members bickering, fighting, gossiping, and issues that are existing where there should be constant concentrate, consecration to the Lord and praying and agonizing and pleading. Amen. And the Lord desires for that to be the experience of God's people. And you know, I'm thankful for uh, the news of Sister Nicole 
Uh, she's a very faithful soul, and her husband as well. And I praise the Lord that uh, the Lord provided so that they would, she would be free from cancer. And I um, also want to solicit that we would pray for her continuously and the ministry. But do you realize that a shaking is happening right now? Do you realize that not many in these pews will be a part of the loud cry? Do you understand that what God is permitting in his church is a, the purpose why he's allowing this in the church is so the true condition of God's people can be revealed. Now, I want to bring this to your attention. And I want you to see the screen here. It's a reviewing of 2023. We're still in it. but We're on the brinks of 2024. So we have the nation is between two wars. Political strife, lies, there's fraud, there's civil corruption, inflation on food, oil, gas, etc. How many are feeling that inflation, by the way? Yeah? Yeah? Right? There's greed, labor strikes, the rise of Christian nationalism, wokeism movements, and spiritualism. There's racial wars, mass shootings and blood shed of innocent lives and children. There's pestilence, immorality, adultery, and divorces, lewdness, LGBTQ, and whatever alphabet you want to add after that. Then you have pride, violent crimes, calamities, both land and sea are sweeping the land. And this has been increasing as we get deeper into the years. Right? And so there are many people who want to escape. Many people are looking to uh, Facebook, uh, social media, uh, to their celebrities that they love to praise and, and worship. But we're going to look at what the people are ante anticipating and looking for now. And so Christmas is coming. Right? This is what it's known for. So it has some good things, and we're going to see some bad things about it. It is known as a period of general rejoicing, of great gladness, meeting with families, and exchanging of gifts to others. It is also known as one of the main, major contributors to the economy, as consumers consume the realtors for good. It is also known for a day to cater to selfish desires of the heart the worshiping of the god of fashion and pride, as well as gluttony, feasting, and selfish indulgence, which brings taxation upon the vital organs and weakening the immune system. So this is definitely what Christmas is about, but is also known to the Christian world, more so evangelicals, as the supposed day of the birth of Christ. Now, we know as Bible students that December 25th is not Jesus' birthday, right? And we don't, the Bible does not give us uh, evidence of when his birthday is, but there's some clues, there's some things there, but it's not December 25th, all right? So what is the purpose of looking into this, all right? 
So as I stated, here's some things to consider. The shepherds were out in the field with the flock. Uh, shepherds would not have their sheep out in the cold, okay? Jesus' parents came to Bethlehem to register in a Roman census. Uh, that would definitely defeat the purpose if it was very cold for them to all gather and um, follow according to the census. Then you have the birth of John, then the birth of Jesus. So notice here, though December 25th may not be the day Jesus was born, but we must use this grand opportunity in this season to spread the what? Glad tidings of his what? Imminent return. All right? So notice, this scene is coming very soon. This scene is coming very soon, family. And we have the awesome privilege to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, I think about it. The opportunities that God has provided for us to be able to witness is a blessed one. You know, every time um, I, I, I find myself in a situation like the other day, I was coming back from Georgia and um, I missed my flight, and um, I was angry at, at missing the flight. And I said, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone, and, and I was telling him what happened, and he said, look, sometimes the Lord allows delay because there's someone we need to meet. Amen. And I said, okay, praise the Lord. And I sat there in that airport for hours, and I prayed, and I said, who is it that you want me to talk to? And lo and behold, just in front of me was a lady who was sitting on her luggage, young lady. And um, we just, my wife and I, we just got finished having worship. We were bringing in the Sabbath. And the lady was listening attentively to everything that we were talking about. And to make a long story short, um, after I hung up with my family and after we had worship, the... Um, the Lord then moved, to, moved me to talk with her. And I said, ma'am, I said, um, did you miss your flight too? And she said, yes, I did. And I said, okay, wonderful. And I said, um, I said are you a Christian? And she said, yes, I am. And I said, do you read the Bible? She said, yeah, well, I just started reading the Bible. And I said, okay, praise the Lord. And I said, what's your thoughts about this whole thing with Hamas and Israel? She said, it's horrible. She said, I'm still trying to understand it. I said, would you like to understand it? And she said, yes. And I said, do you have time? And she said, well, we have all the time. We miss our flight. <laughs> and so I sat down with her, opened the Bible, and went through Daniel, and showed her from line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And she was blessed. And then got the information. She was able to join the Tuesday uh, night Bible studies that I have every Tuesday. And uh, God has been blessing. Now, that's just one testimony. The other testimony, beloved, is I landed in upstate New York, where I'm from, and I decided I was thinking about my beautiful bride, and I said, you know what, I want to get some flowers for my wife. And I went inside uh, a place called Wegmans. I don't know if you have a Wegmans out here, but amen. I went to a place called Wegmans. And I went to the floor section, and I saw all these beautiful arrangements. And I was trying to look for the particular one that catches my eye and would fit my wife. 
And lo and behold, I noticed that the spirit of the living God was moving upon other husbands to do the same thing. And so I saw so many husbands coming. And one particular husband came by, and I said, uh, great minds think alike, huh? And he started laughing. And um, that was an icebreaker because it caused him now to come to me confidently. He says, hey, do you think my wife would like this? And I said, well, I think she would. I said, but this looks better over here. And, and, <laughs> and so uh, as we're talking, all of a sudden, the conversation went from talking to flowers, talking about flowers, to talking about Jesus. I'm like, Lord, how did that happen? Because I didn't bring it up. The man was like, well, okay, where are you coming from? And I told him where I'm coming from. And um, I told him that, you know, I was sad because I missed church service and um, because I, I wanted to get back to New York in time to preach and uh, go to the church. But I said, I wind up having service in Florida. And uh, he looked at me. He said, oh, you're a minister. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, um, he started asking me questions about uh, my faith. And he started asking questions about prayer. And he started asking questions about uh, living in the country. And I said, yes. I said, you know, country living is definitely important, especially with everything that we're seeing happening in the world. And he said, yes. He said, I don't want my family in the city. He said, I want to move my family out of the city to, into the country. Now, mind you, he's not a seven-day Adventist. And he doesn't even claim to be a Christian. All right? So as we're talking about this, then, as we were preparing to leave, I said to him, I said, let's pray, if you don't mind. And he looked at me. He said, um, pray here in Wegmans? I said, yeah, pray right here in Wegmans. I said, we just had a glorious time together. And I said, we need to thank our Heavenly Father. And he said, okay. He said, but I haven't prayed in four years. Hmm? All right now. So I haven't prayed in four years. Now, mind you, this guy is a professor at a school somewhere in Syracuse, all right? And we prayed, and after our eyes were open, you should see the joy that was on that man's face. Now, imagine if I did not take the time to talk with that man. Imagine if I didn't take time to commune with Christ. Because when you commune with Christ, people are drawn to the light. They're drawn to it, family. And the more we have this connection with Jesus, the more we spend time with Christ, people will be drawn to Jesus, not you. Amen? Now, moving right along, I want to bring this to your attention here. And so we have books like Desire of Ages. How many read this book? Amen. You know, there are Seventh-day Adventists who haven't read this book. Huh? You have The Great Controversy. How many read this book? Amen. You have also Seth the Christ. You have Ministry of Healing. Amen. Do you know that these books should be spread like the leaves of autumn? Do you know that this is a perfect time to give someone a gift like that for Christmas? Amen. Wrap it up. Make it really look nice. Don't just slap it together. But make it meaningful. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Make, people should be able to tell that you care even by the wrapping. 
You're not listening to me. Amen. All right? So notice. Spread the word or present truth like the leaves of autumn. Now, what is this? It's a gift, right? Now, we were just talking about gifts. And the title of our message is Christ, the gift of all gifts. And when you think about a gift, oh, let me, let me just do this. How many remember a gift that you received and it was a, a beautiful gift and this gift you could tell that the individual who gave it to you thought a lot about it before they gave it to you. All right? Now, I want you to also wrap this in your mind. How many have ever received a gift and then once you opened it, you realize that this is something that you needed? Raise your hand. Okay? Now, how many received the gift and you opened it and you realize that this is something I don't need? How many, amen, all right, let's be honest, all right? Now, how about this one? How many received the gift and you opened it and you realize this is a gift that I need, but you never used it? Okay? Raise your hand. I don't see many hands going up now. <laughs> all right? It just sat on the shelf. It just collected dust, whatever. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this example out, because the last example is, unfortunately, what many Seventh-day Adventists are doing with the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Many have received the gift. They realize they need it, but they never use it. It's just based on when I come to church, I give my tithe and offering, I wear my suit and my tie my dress, I eat right, I dress right, I say the right things. But I am not seeking to be a faithful witness and sharing Christ with others who are perishing. Do you know if when we receive the grace of God, that the evidence that we have received it is that we're bestowing that same grace upon others? It's not just coming to church. It's not just coming on the right day. Or it's not just having the title that I'm a seven-day Adventist, or it's not just the title that I'm an elder or I'm a deacon of the church. It is based on, am I allowing the grace of God to be bestowed in my life so that I can reveal it to others? Amen. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, amen. Moving forward. Note, Christ was given to our world as a gift. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read that. It says, for unto us a child is what? Unto us a son is given. Now, we know the whole... Uh, Understanding as it relates to Isaiah 9, verse 6. But why was such a gift given to mankind? Notice John chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. Let's go there in our Bibles. And we know this very well, but we're going to see it anyway. John chapter 3, 
John chapter 3, and we're looking at verse 16 through 17. Father in heaven, bless your words as we read. And I ask, Father, that you would be with every heart and every mind, including myself. Lord, please be with the children. Help them, Lord, to, um, to reverence you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In John chapter 3, looking at verse 16 through 17, the Bible says, For God sent not his Son into the world, I'm sorry, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. Now, before I go further, is there anyone here who's not a Seventh-day Adventist? Raise your hand. Okay. So everyone in here is Seventh-day Adventist. All right? So I could take the gloves off. <laughs> Amen. All right, very good. All right. And so Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, tells us what Christ came to save us from. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, let's turn there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The Bible says, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name who? For she shall save his people from his what? from their sins. So Jesus came to save his people from their sins, as we understand that, right? Now, John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, tells us what about sin? What is sin? It is the transgression of the law, right? What about Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 2? What does that say? What does that say? In other words, what it says, that God, that because of sin, sin has separated us from who? God, right? Is it the other way around? Is it that God separates from us? No, it's because we have sinned and we have separated ourselves from God. All right? Now, Romans 6, verse 23, what does that say? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that scripture is letting us know that the wages or the penalty of sin is death. Now, the question is, what death? What death did Christ come to save us from? You can see that in Scripture. Revelation 20, verse 6, 14, 21, and 8 tells us that Christ came to save us from the second death. All right? Now, did he experience the second death? Yes or no? Okay. How many say he experienced the second death? Raise your hand. Okay. How many say that he did not experience the second death? Raise your, raise your hand. Okay. So how many are not sure? Okay, all right, maybe that's a Bible study in itself. All right, so just know this. The Bible tells us when Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou what? Forsaken me. Now, for Jesus to say something of that nature, okay, for Jesus to, let me take this off. For Jesus to say something of that nature, it means that he experienced eternal separation from his father. Because prior to that, the Bible lets us know that Jesus said, he who see me see the father. 
He always talked about the communion that he had with his father. But then when it came to the cross, Jesus, for the first time, experienced separation. Now, my friends, my family, brethren, don't allow the sacrifice of Christ to be in vain for you. Does that make sense to you? Now, I don't, I'm not going to spend so much time on that. But it says, so the gift of all gifts that could ever be given to humanity is Jesus. Now, looking at the plan of salvation, Christ came to save us from our sins. And we have the three steps coming back into the presence of the Father. We have the outer court, we have the holy place, and we have the most holy place. And the outer court signifies justification, imputed righteousness, saved from the penalty of sin. And then we have the holy place, which represents sanctification, imparted righteousness, which is saved from the power of sin. And then last, we have glorification, which is eternal righteousness, which represents saved from the presence of sin. And this is the experience that Christ will take us through as we follow him in the plan of salvation through the sanctuary. Does everyone understand? Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. So what are the additional benefits as we receive the gift of Christ? It says you will never hunger and thirst again. John chapter 6 verse 35. Jesus says that if you, let's go there. Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're looking at verse 35, and when you're there, let me know by saying amen. The Bible says, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never what? Hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never what? Thirst. So that's the promise as it relates to this gift. What is the next? You will have peace. John 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth what? Peace. Next scripture. You will have rest. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. You will have joy. Let me ask you, do you have joy? Amen. Amen. John 15, verse 11. John 16, verse 24. John 17, 13. You will have a new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You will have freedom in Christ. John chapter 8, verse 34 to 36. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And the last one, you will have the promise of eternal life. From John 17, verses 1 through 3. Romans 6, verse 23. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. Now, moving right along. I'm going to bypass this for the sake of time. Now, do you mind if I talk real with you? Okay, wonderful. So, I remember this year, my family and I were in Wegmans. And it seems like things happen in Wegmans a lot for us. <laughs> and um, my wife and I, we were just shopping and we were leaving out the store and my wife and another sister, they have this prayer ministry where they've been praying for 
uh, several individuals, uh, church members, people that we've been working with and studying the Bible with, and so on, family members, etc. And to our surprise, as we were leaving the store, the Lord allowed us to see an individual that we've been praying for for a long time. And um, he used to come to church. Now, he never accepted the message, never became a seven-day Adventist. Um, but he would come to church, and he was excited with the Bible studies and so on, etc. And um, I remember seeing him and walking up to him. And he didn't know I was there. But I said, I, I tapped, him on, uh, tapped him on the shoulder, and he turned around, and he said, Pastor Jones. And he gave me a big hug, and we hugged each other, embraced, and uh, I told him how much we missed you, and we've been praying for you. And he said, you know, I thank you for praying. He said, you know, I need all the prayers. Met another family member that was with him. And um, we departed. We went our separate ways. Nothing really special happened that day, at least on the, based on my estimation. But a few days later, received the phone call, or um, yeah, received the phone call that the same individual that we saw had a terrible motorcycle accident. And I remember that the Lord orchestrated and allowed me to have opportunity to see him before then. Because shortly after the accident, he took his last breath. And I was able to meet with the family. I was able to pray with them, cry with them, encourage them. And this was very sobering. And I share this with you, family. It's because there are many people who are outside these doors, outside these walls, who are perishing. And they're dying. In fact, there's mothers who are taking the lives of their own children. There's husbands who are taking the lives of their family because they can't provide for them. They're under depression. They're using alcohol and abusing all kinds of substances. And the homes are being broken up. But you and I have the solution to the life's problems. And that solution only comes about if we ourselves have received it first. See, if I'm transformed, then I can help someone else. I can help someone come to Christ. And the times in which we're living in Earth's history is going to require a lot of selflessness. It's going to require, require a, a denying of self. We have to lose sight of self. Now, guess where that begins? It begins in the home. It also begins in the church. Because so often we just tend to our own cliques in church services. We have brothers and sisters on this side and this click over here and, and then you have individuals who have this belief and 
and there's all kinds of separation. I'm talking from experience as a pastor. So I, I share this to you, not to, not to condemn, but to warn. Because the times that we're living in are very solemn and important. So I want to bring this to a close. It says, so if Christ has been the gift of all gifts to you, then my question is, where is your gift to him? When the shepherds and the wise men came, the wise men bear gifts to Jesus. And the question for us, what gift can we bring to Christ? What is it that Christ wants for us? The answer is you. He wants you. Will you give him your heart? Proverbs 23, verse 26, it says, My son, give me thy heart. And let thine eyes observe my ways. And then you can't give what is not yours. For ye were bought with a price. Here's the scriptures to support that. But notice what Christ's object lesson says that we can do. It says no outward observances can take the place of simple faith. An entire renunciation of self. But no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work, then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. Amen. How many want that experience? Amen. Now, in closing, normally I would have more energy than this, but I, I, have, I didn't get much sleep. But the Lord knew, 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 knew what he was doing, amen? He wanted to calm me down <laughs> so you could hear me. Not that I'll be yelling and screaming and anything of that nature. But... Um, Jesus gives the parable of the ten virgins. You have five wise, five foolish. And the interesting thing is, the pen of inspiration says that the foolish are not hypocrites. She says they love the truth. They advocate the truth. They even like being around truth. But they have not allowed the truth of God or the word of God to be assimilated in their lives. They have not yielded to the working of the Holy Spirit. They have not fallen on the rock Christ Jesus to be broken. You and I are going to have to spend a lot of time praying and agonizing over our hearts. Let me say that again. You and I are going to have to spend a lot of time agonizing and pleading over our hearts. Because there are things that are inside that only God sees. I can hide it from you very well. You look at me and you say, well, that brother got it together. Have mercy. How many understood the word of God? 
There's a reason why I'm pausing. Father in heaven, please be with us in these last words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Giving out great controversies are good. Giving out desire of ages is a good. Having campaigns and cooking classes are good. Medical missionary work is good. Preaching about the first and second and third angels' messages is good. All of these things are good in itself. Health reform is good. Dress reform is good. All of these things are good. God gave it with a purpose. But at the end of the day, if I'm selfish, prideful, arrogant, self-centered, fault-finding, gossiping, evil surmising, then all of the things that I did outwardly meant nothing. It means nothing at the end of the day. Those who count on what they do outwardly instead of the work that is done inside will be a part of the group that will say, Lord, haven't we cast out devils? Haven't we did mighty things in thy name? And Jesus will look at them and say painfully, I don't think Jesus will be joyous when he say, depart from me, ye who do the work of iniquity. Christ will be saying these words with tears in his eyes. Please do not get caught up with just saying, well, I do medical missionary work. I give Bible studies. I tell people about Jesus. Don't just get caught up with that because that's a trap that the devil has set up for God's people, unfortunately. But the brethren who allow the Lord to do a work inside, and then that work that is done inside will be evidence, uh, will be revealed by the work outside, they will be able to stand with Christ when that time comes. And so my appeal to you before closing, or as we close, Will you allow Jesus to come into your hearts? Now somebody say, well, Pastor, I already, let you, I already let Jesus come into my heart. But you know, my brothers, my young brothers, thank you. Someone probably already saying, I already allow Christ into my heart. And you're probably like, well, pastor, I think you're judging me. But I will tell you this. In Revelation chapter 3, Christ says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
That means that if he's outside knocking on the door of the heart, that means he's not in. But the beautiful thing about it, he wants to come in. And you and I must allow him to come in. Christ does not force his way through the door. He's not Satan. But he waits patiently, knocking at the door of our hearts. So my appeal to us all is simple. Will you allow Christ to come in fully? Because sometimes, you know, we can let somebody in halfway and close the door. And that was like someone trying to come in and get you. And you're like, oh, no, you open the door. This looks, you know, like children when they're playing, they, they kind of open the door a little bit and then they close it. We can't do that with Jesus. We have to open the door wide. And whatever room he wants to clean, Lord, clean it. Don't just say, well, you can clean this room, but don't clean that one. You can touch that idol, but leave that one. Christ wants every portion of the heart. That means what we say, how we interact, our countenance, our hearts. We know that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. This is why Jesus is standing at the door of the heart. He wants to change. He says, I have a heart for you. I want to give you a new one. That's a covenant language. And so I know you heard this before. There's nothing new that I'm sharing with you. There's no uh, different uh, ooh-ah, you know, moments that you, that you had during the sermon. But the purpose of this family is that I'm pleading with God's people. And this is not just appeal to you, but it's an appeal to myself. Because the crisis is at the door. And Jesus is soon to come. How many understand that Jesus is coming very soon? Raise your hand. Amen. Amen.